All right. Hey, welcome to another uh, Conversations podcast. And um, I just want to remind uh, folks that have been listening to us, or especially those who are new, um, if you want to hear more of these conversations, uh, you can check us out either on Facebook or your format of uh, podcast listening. For me, it's usually Spotify. So uh, the way you can check it out is just go to Spotify and type in Conversations with Genesis Church, and, uh, and you'll see a whole list of stuff that uh, we talk about. Uh, you know, we range from talking to missionaries. We got one today. Uh, we, we talk to missionaries. We talk to theology professors. Um, one of the latest ones was with Alan Newsom. He's a, a co-star in the movie Mayberry Man. I found that very fascinating and interesting, uh, just from behind the scenes stuff. So you, I would encourage you to check that out. We also talked to uh, some folks that um, have gone through some struggles and uh, lessons they learned as following Jesus through all that. Uh, Want to give you a heads up. Uh, in um, January, we're going to be talking to uh, Sean Lee. He lives out in uh, Roswell, New Mexico, where the aliens are. And uh, <laughs> he lives out in uh, uh, Roswell, New Mexico. And uh, he's an associate pastor out there. But anyway, uh, he went through cancer. And so we're going to talk to him about his journey through cancer and, uh, and how that affected him and his family and what he learned and, and how that how God used that valley in his life. Uh, so if you know of someone who has struggled with cancer or maybe you're going through cancer, I would encourage you to listen to that <clears throat> uh, podcast. That'll come out uh, in 1st of January. Also, we're going to be talking to uh, a friend of mine named Peyton Smith, who was in an accident a few years ago. Uh, some of y'all know him. And anyway, he uh, paralyzed from the neck down in his 20s. And so, and now he started a ministry called Wheels and Weapons. And it's uh, guys who are paralyzed and who like to go hunting and how that works. And he provides some things for that. But anyway, we're going to talk about what God has done uh, for him. And, and even through this tragedy in his life, how... Um, uh, God brought him through and has given him a platform that he would have never had uh, if he hadn't gone through this. And so um, anyway, I, I'm kind of, I think that'll be helpful for people who've gone through some tragedies in their life. And I think he'll bring some stuff to the table to give you some stuff to think about and also to encourage you in your own journey and also to help you minister to other people in the same situation. So, all right, now today uh, we have Stephen and he is an international missionary uh, and he is serving in Southeast Asia, but uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, uh, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. And uh, so just kind of give us a little bit of who you are, you know, you're married, got kids or whatever, you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to tell us. Yeah, thanks, Pastor. I appreciate you having me on here. Um, as you share, my name's Stephen and my wife, Erin, and I uh, have three kids. They're three, five, and seven, and uh, we have been serving for the last six years together in Southeast Asia with the International Mission Board. Um, actually, both of us, before going together as a family, um, both of us served for two years in Southeast Asia as uh, what's called journeymen through the IMB, uh, kind of uh, after college, spent two years serving overseas, working with teams over there, and through that, got connected ended up getting married and going back in 2015. And uh, we're serving as church planners in an area that's a little bit remote, uh, kind of up in the mountains. Um, but yeah, we love it. It's been a, a great place to raise a family and 
just be a part of what God's doing in that part of the world. All right, so let's back up for just a moment. You mentioned the journeyman program. Um, there may be some folks listening uh, that are going, man, I've never heard of that. I don't even know what he's talking about. And, and so if you don't mind, just talk about, a little bit about that, what it is, why, how you got plugged into it, and then we'll uh, move on from there. Yeah, absolutely. So the IMB has this program called the journeyman program that's for college students after graduation and a way to really kind of get a taste, a real taste, some real experience in missions. So it's a two-year program, two-year commitment um, where you go, you join a team and there's a whole spectrum of ways to be involved from direct church planning um, to, for example, my wife worked in the support center, working in the finance office, helping uh, missionaries all over Southeast Asia with some of their bookkeeping and things that just practical things that have to be done to be able to stay on the field. Uh, so it's a great program. It was it was really a blessing for both of us to be able to get some real life experience kind of beyond just, you know, what you would get on a one week or two week trip, but to really dig in deep into a team and what God's doing in that, in that area. And through that, God confirmed a call in both of our lives that he was calling us to long term missions on the field. Uh, so where did you go to school at, by the way? I went to Dallas Baptist University. Okay. And, um, and that's, that's where you got connected with the journeyman thing. That is. Yeah. I was part of a church that was really missional, was really connected to what God was doing in, among the nations. And so, mm. uh, actually several families from our church had been sent out to work with this one specific people group that kind of our church had adopted and mm -hmm. said, Hey, we're going to take this people group of about a million people and, you know, do everything that we can to see the gospel spread among these people. Yeah. And so after I finished college, started praying about what I needed to do. Um, this team from my church was working with his people. And so God just opened the doors for me to actually get to serve with, I mean, I, my teammates were my former college minister and a guy that I was working with on the college ministry and the former youth pastor at my church. So it was just really cool how God kind of took this community from our sending church and sort of transplanted us to the other side of the world. And we got to continue doing ministry just among an unreached people group. Ah, that's cool. So, um, all right. So now let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're actually serving, uh, obviously for various reasons, you know, Stephen's going to have to be a little generic, uh, but, uh, but uh, do the best you can just kind of, you know, what, tell us what about what you do and, and how you do it and just kind of give us a feel for you as a missionary and, and yeah, so we're working in one area. We're focused on a geographical area um, that encompasses a little over 2 million people. Um, and there's about a dozen different ethnic groups that are among those people. And the predominant religion in the area where we're serving is Buddhist. Um, but it's kind of Buddhism mixed with animism and spirit worship. So we deal a lot with people that are have have grown up going to the monastery but they've also grown up going to the spirit priest or the witch doctor in their village or in their community whenever they have problems um, so we're kind of dealing with both worldviews um, and we're working in uh, as church planners and so we're going in kind of starting from scratch in in a lot of ways um, trying to meet people share the gospel get groups started um, and also bring local believers into that process and send local believers out, um, train them and send them out to be doing church planning as well. Um, and so the area where we're working is actually kind of unique because there's a long history of Christian missions in our particular area. In fact, some of the first missionaries from 
America uh, were in our same area. And so it's kind of a unique situation because there's a lot of different ethnic groups. And so going back even a couple hundred years, there's certain groups that have had the gospel. And in some cases, it spread like wildfire through this people group, you know, several decades or a couple centuries ago. Um, so we have kind of these divisions where you have some groups that are highly Christianized. I mean, we're talking 90, 95% Christian living right next door to people group. For example, one of the groups we work with, it's 0.0003% Christian. Um, but because of all the inerrant racism and prejudice in those areas, a lot of times those groups don't mix and they don't really, but even the Christians that are there have become kind of cultural Christians and don't see the need to share the gospel. So we sort of live in both worlds where we're going out doing kind of zero to one, sharing with people who have never heard the name of Jesus before, while also working in like these established churches, trying to mobilize the church and wake up the church and say, hey, there's a, there's these lost people right around you, you know, let's go together and try to share the gospel with them. So we, we kind of wear two hats in that respect. All right. So you mentioned, okay, you mentioned church planning. So, uh, all right now, how does that, work? how does that work for you in an area where I don't want to say you're not wanted, but where you have to be very cautious? Right. Right. Yeah. How, how does, so how does, how does starting a church, getting it going under the radar, I guess, if you will, I mean, how does that work? Yeah, it's definitely challenging. There's a lot of obstacles to it. Um, but part of it is helped by the fact that when we talk about church planning, we're looking for, we're looking to start under the radar uh, house churches that are small and that can function more relationally rather than you know, building big buildings and putting a sign out front and saying, hey, everybody, I'll come to church. Right. Uh, for example, there's one village that we're working in just outside of our city uh, where we've seen several people come to faith. One of our friends introduced us to uh, this one lady who was the first believer in her village. And we started just going out regularly, meeting with her, encouraging her, discipling her and trying to equip her and help her as she was sharing the gospel with her community. And so now through her witness, several of her family members, several of the people in her community have come to faith. So like every Sunday we go out and meet with her <clears throat> as well as this new group of believers that's formed, but we're meeting all together, basically in a, a bamboo or thatch roof hut with no walls, just sitting out in front of our house. And so our, our church, this church that's forming is just forming literally in front of our house in this poor village, but all these people are coming together and meeting together. And we're studying the word together. We're praying together. We're, you know, taking communion and uh, sharing the gospel together and encouraging one another, keeping each other accountable in that. And so through that, we're, we're looking to reproduce churches like that. And so in our area, especially, there's not so much, you know, people aren't trying to hunt down uh, people that are sharing the gospel as much. Uh, so when things happen on relational lines like that, as opposed to big projects or, you know, big big rallies or things like that, that can get you in trouble when it comes to security. But if it's, if the gospel is going through relational streams, it's usually doesn't cause as many problems as far as security. So this little, this little church group that meets in this hut thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so are these, are these all new believers? I mean, uh, or are these like a, were they already there and they just added a few, a couple more or something? Uh, so there was, when we started working there about four years ago, um, there was one believer. Uh, oh, this wow. is yeah. kind of the, she was sort of the matriarch of the village. Everybody just right. refers to her as mama. That's kind of right. her, okay. uh, just what she goes by. 
Yeah, and okay. so she was the only believer in her village. Uh, but then through her witness, so over the last three or four years, we've seen about seven or eight more people come to faith uh, in this particular area that have joined her with that. So uh, regarding Mama, uh, yeah. <laughs> how okay? So she was the only believer in that little village. So how did she become a how did she become a believer? Yeah, it's actually a really cool story because she had been living in this village for the last 40 years. In fact, she was kind of the the witch doctor, if you will, um, that did things and had ceremonies involving the spirits and stuff. She was the one that let out in that. And a friend of ours who's actually a pastor in that area who had started his own local church, got connected with this village, started going out, sharing the gospel, and for a long time just didn't see any fruit. I mean, these people were just very resistant, didn't want him there, but he just kept praying, kept going out and kept sharing with her. And she had gotten to the point where she was at least interested and then started talking to her family members, like, you know, there may be something to this living God that, that this guy's talking about. And then one day her daughter came to her house, uh, mama's daughter came and she was all upset. And she said, mama, our pig has died which is a really big deal there because a lot of times two or three families will kind of go in together and buy this pig and raise it. And when it's time to sell it, one family can get two or three months of income from wow. selling the pig. Okay. And this pig was three days away from being sold and the pig died. And so it was a, a pretty big deal for this family, pretty devastating. And so when mama's daughter came to her house, she was, you know, distraught and just said, Hey, you've been talking about this living God. You think he can do anything. So mama marched down to the pig pen and, you know, half the village had kind of gathered around at this point. And she just crawled into the pig pen, got down on her knees and said, okay, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, will you show these people? And while she was praying, the dead pig stood up. Oh my word. And at that point, she said, all right, I'm in and was baptized <laughs> the next day. <laughs> and just, I mean, in front of half the village, God just yeah. kind of showed that he's, he's real. And so since that time, she's just been, uh, I mean, a prayer warrior that's seen incredible things happen. Wow. Uh, someone who just has incredible faith and, and, you know, that's kind of how her journey started. And so she's sort of developed this reputation in the village that, you know, if you're sick or if you have a, a problem or something, you know, you come to mama because she prays and stuff happens. And so... Mm -hmm. I mean, it's gotten to the point where every week when we go out there now, we just kind of ask like, okay, what did God do this week? Just, oh, well, yeah, that, you know, there, there is this really bad rash that we prayed and it went away or this person, you know, their kid was sick and we prayed yeah. and they got better immediately. I mean, they're literally seeing miracles happen on almost a week to week basis. Wow. These people just, I mean, and we're talking about somebody who's has no education, can't read or write you know, has grown up just doing manual labor, literally living. I mean, they work every day right. just to get food for that day. Um, I mean, this lady that, that you, you know, has four teeth, you wouldn't look at her as a world changer, you know, that you would pick <laughs> this is somebody that, <clears throat> that I would pick, you know, to, to do great things for God, but just has incredible faith and trust that when we pray, God's going to do something and they've seen it happen. <laughs> the whole four teeth. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but it is. I mean, I, I feel sorry for him, but it's funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, you know, that is a cool story, man. I tell you what, man, that's, uh, uh, you know, to hear that kind of stuff, you know, uh, is encouraging, you know, because you, again, you don't have to be special if you understand what I'm saying. You yeah. know, you just, just be you and just have this childlike faith and just go for it, you know. 
Exactly. And uh, yeah. who knows what God's going to do? You know, raise a pig from the dead. Kind of <laughs> so, um, okay, so uh, you got this little church going on there uh, in that village. Um, uh, so when you're talking about building relationships, because you mentioned that a while ago. Mm-hmm. All right, so from as a missionary in your area, how do you build relationships in order to share the gospel and that, what does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the short answer is basically live life with a whole lot of intentionality. <laughs> um, because, because of the area that we're at, we can't go in as officially as missionaries. So I have a day job, if you will, um, a business that we're doing that um, we do where we, we work with uh different folks all over the country selling, buying and selling goods. And um, it's boring. I won't get into all of it, but that allows us presence to be there. So we have a business visa that allows us to live there. Um, But then through that, we're just, we're constantly, I mean, every day when we get up, we're praying, asking that God will lead us to relationships where he's working. And so we try to be really intentional as we're, you know, we have relationships through our business. And as we're meeting people that, that we're involved in, you know, looking for opportunities to have conversations that we can have spiritual conversations with these people to be able to, to lead to, you know, a follow-up meeting or just to be able to share the gospel right there. Um, Same thing with, I mean, even things when we're looking at where we're going to eat our meals, you know, local restaurants, we try to go intentionally to the same places over and over so we can get to know people. But then a lot of it too, is just like in our neighborhood and other communities around, we'll just try to go and get in those communities. Um, We do a lot of prayer walking. So my wife and I or our family will go, we'll kind of walk our neighborhood or we'll have other target communities or villages where we go. And we'll just literally walk through. And as we see houses or as we see people, we're praying for people, saying hi and looking for opportunities to start a conversation uh, with the goal of trying to, to get into their home or for them to get into our home and to start um, finding out more of their story and to share our story. So as we do that, I mean, it's not rocket science or there's not some big formula we go through, you know, we're just trying to constantly be intentional about relationships. And so that means as we're buying things at the grocery store or whatever, we're always looking to start those conversations. And then um, specifically one thing my wife and I really like to, to do is try to use Bible stories as kind of a bridge to get to the gospel. And so as we're talking with somebody, we try to, you know, listen to what's going on in their life. And as they share different stuff that's happening struggles or things that they have relate that to like, Hey, you know, that reminds me of this story in the Bible that talks about, you know, and, and we can use, there's lots of different inroads into that, you know, and people talk about like, man, it's been raining really hard lately. Like, yeah, you know, you're right. In fact, that reminds me of a story when, you know, there was a big storm that came in when Jesus and his disciples were on a boat and, you know, and off we go, you know, just sharing, I mean, a little one paragraph story. It's not any kind of memorized can special thing, but trying to use that to sort of see if people are interested. And then that makes the jump to actual, sharing the gospel, talking about their, you know, the God's love for them, it makes it easier to kind of turn that corner. And so, yeah, just trying to be really intentional and then using stories to bridge to the gospel. So in your area, just kind of for a frame of reference, percentage wise, I mean, if you're talking, because you mentioned uh, earlier that um, the predominant religion was some form of Buddhism, you know, mixed with something else, maybe. But um, so when it comes to like Christians, are we talking like half percent of the population? 
Uh, in our city, it's probably somewhere between three and five percent. Three and five percent. Yeah. So most of the people that we go out and we meet people, chances are they're going to be Buddhist. Right. Um, by the way, um, I used to work at a prison. I was a chaplain there. And in, 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 in the prison, the um, one of the faith groups that's official is Buddhism. Oh, yeah. Right. And so uh, and each faith group has, has to have a representative from the offender base. And so uh, the one the offender that was represented the Buddhist group, uh, he worked for me in the chapel. And uh, uh, when I say chapel, it's just a building where all the faith groups could meet, you know. So anyway, and and but he but he claimed to be a Christian, and I said, I said, hey man, I said, how does that work? <laughs> I said you represent the Buddhist group, you lead the Buddhist stuff, you know, their their services and whatever they do. And I said, but uh, you, you claim to be a Christian. He said, yeah. He said, uh, he said, I just like the meditation of the Buddhist. <laughs> he, he said, and so, but somehow he had mashed uh, Christianity together. You know what I'm saying? And um, uh, the, uh, anyway, we had some interesting conversations because, you know, to me, it doesn't mix, but for right. him, it was, and so when you said that, you know, it was a, a Buddhist, there was, some form of it mixed with some type of spiritualism or spirit worship or something else, you know, I immediately thought of that guy and I'm thinking, well, that's, and I'm thinking, is there something about Buddhism and other religions that seem to mix well together for some reason, you know? Well, it's funny because what we found in our experience as well is, you know, there's a lot of, if you get into the technicalities and study, you know, take a deep dive into Buddhism, there's a lot of differences, but what we found is really, if you talk to your average Joe on the street where we live, when it comes down to it, because Buddhism, you know, some of the main tenets, they believe in reincarnation. So after you die, you're reborn again. Um, but they believe that if you, it, it's all a merit system. So if you have more good merit than bad merit, then when you die in your next life, you end up in a better place, basically right. you move up a level. But if you do more bad things than good things, you move down, you know, but essentially it turns into basically just a big point system. And so, if you talk to your average Joe on the street, almost everybody, when it gets down to it, they're trying to do more good than bad so that when they die, they end up in a better place. Mm -hmm. um, but that's kind of just the basis of any religion. You know, I mean, the reality is if you, if you walk out in the street in most places in Missouri or in, you know, Texas or wherever, and you say, Hey, you know, you, you tell me what you believe for the most part, people are trying to do more good than bad so that when they die, they end up in a better place, you know? And so it's funny how we found there's a lot of similarities. And really, when it comes down to it, what we're preaching in the gospel is just, hey, this is, you know, faith in Jesus is different from religion. And it, in some ways, it doesn't really matter what your religion is. They all kind of come down to that, that like, they all say you should do something good. And that's, that's a lot of times how we share the gospel with people. It's just like, hey, Buddhism tells you, you know, you need to do all these good things. How's it going with that? Like, how are you doing? You know, and most people are honest enough to say like, well, yeah, you know, I try, but, but yeah, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. <laughs> yeah. And so that's where we can come in and share this really good news that the gospel says it doesn't matter, you know, what you've done or what you can do, but Jesus comes in. In fact, one of the, we have like a track that we use that has a, a story of basically a guy that went out for to this river there's a big sign that says no swimming 
but he jumps in the river and starts to drown, you know? And so this first person comes and says, Hey, you know, can't you read? Look at that. It says no swimming. You shouldn't have done that. Like, this is why you shouldn't go swimming because it's dangerous. And the second guy comes along and says, Oh, well, you need to, you need to swim. So move your arms like this and move your legs. Like, you know, like this is what you need to do. If you just do this and you can get back to the shore. The third guy comes along and jumps in the water and goes over and actually saves him. And so that's what we're, that's the message that we're trying to share with oh, people. That's a good, I've not heard that one. That's a good one. Yeah. And, and really what we found is any, any religion, it doesn't matter what it is, is based on, you know, they're telling you don't do this, do this, whatever it is. Jesus yeah. is the only one that jumped in the water mm. and comes to save us. And all we have to do is receive that salvation rather than trying to work for it ourselves. Well, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to use that illustration. I will give you the credit first time. The second time, <laughs> the, the second time I I'll use it, it, I'll say someone said. <laughs> and then the third time I use it, I'll say, look, here's what I say. Yeah. <laughs> that's, all here. That's, yeah that's how it works, man. Okay. So uh, can we talk about your family a little bit and, and how that works, where you're at? Like, uh, all right. So you, you are married. Um, yep. And uh, do you have any kids? We do. Three kids. Okay, so you got three kids and at least one dog. I saw a dog there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, talk to you. Talk to us a little bit about your family and what that's like living in another culture, another environment, especially a predominantly non-Christian culture where you're obviously in the minority there. Right. And so, just kind of talk to us a little bit. Yeah. About yeah. yeah. Well, our when we first moved over there, our daughter was six months old. So our kids, both two, two of our kids have been born over there. And so for them, that's home, you know, in fact, when we, when we come back to the States, you know, they have fun, they enjoy getting to see family and everything, but then they say, all right, dad, we're ready to go home. And, um, and we found that, I mean, part of it comes stems from the fact that, you know, my wife and I were both serving on the field, even before we got married. So we both had a call to missions individually, and then God brought us together and so we really, as much as possible, are always looking to do ministry together as a couple and as a family. Um, and part of that is just because we enjoy doing that together. But I think it's also really strategic for the work. Um, one, because there's not a whole lot of example, good examples of what, you know, a good, strong marriage and family look like. But then two, a lot of it plays into the culture and what we're dealing with, because over there, the culture is very communal, very focused on the family. And, you know, we have this kind of rugged individualism in America, of like, I'm going to be like John Wayne and pull myself by, up by my own bootstrap, you know, over there, it's very much focused on the community, on the family, that's where life is centered around that. And so, even when people are making decisions, even when they're making decisions about religion, or if they're going to believe the gospel, a lot of times, they're not looking to make that, well, what's best for me, they're looking to make those decisions communally as a group. And so the more that we have opportunities to, you know, get into to talk with families or communities, the more that we have opportunities to meet families and talk to people together, that allows for much better decisions because people can, can kind of discuss those things and, and work together as a family. So, like I said, when we go out for the most part, whenever we're going out doing ministry, you know, whether it's prayer walking in our neighborhood or going out to, to a village to do discipleship we're going as a family. And so our kids are running around in the village, you know, playing in the dirt and playing with local kids and, you know, feeding goats or whatever. And <laughs> we're, so it's a little bit chaotic, but we found that it's, I mean, it's just really good 
for the ministry, but also for our family, because we don't want our kids to feel like, well, this is something mom and dad do. And we're just kind of here. We want them right. to feel like this is what God's called us to do as a unit. Right. And so we're going to be obedient together in ministry. And so obviously it's different. Um, there's, you know, challenges in, in, like you said, growing up, our kids growing up in a, a non-Christian culture mm-hmm. and being in places where, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of those values and things that are inherently uh, built into the culture like they are here. But in some ways it's also nice too, because our kids have oh, an expanded worldview from a young age where they, in fact, one of my three-year-old was just saying the other day, you know, he was like, daddy, we need to tell, we need to tell the monks about Jesus because they don't know about that God is alive, you know, <laughs> and, and things like that, that, you know, they probably wouldn't get to experience that kind of thing right. in all the States. Huh. But, and also we kind of get to avoid some of just the, the things like the materialism and the things in yeah. America that, you know, are hard for that kids can't, you know, that is hard to raise kids here. It's not like life is easy here and, and hard over there. I mean, it's, there's, <laughs> there's challenges and, and blessings in both places. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Cause I've got four kids of my own. They're all grown and moved out. And my wife and I, we have adopted a new one. And, uh-huh. um, and so she's been with us for about three years. So we're basically starting all over again at the age of 50 is what happened. And yeah. So, uh, <laughs> nice. and, uh, yeah. And then we also have a two year old here. And so we got, yeah. I mean, we're to literally start and we just got a new dog. So I just throw that down. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And, uh, but you know, the whole materialism thing. Yeah. You know, now that I'm older as a parent, you know, raising kids, having kids and raising kids at 25 mm-hmm. is different. I'm sure <laughs> when you're 50, you know what I'm saying? I mean, things you care about back then, you know, I don't even care about, you know, and, uh, but one of the things I do care about is that obviously, you know, the American culture that we live in here is very materialistic, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and we have to really fight that all the time, you know, just, yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah. Cause there really is in, in many ways, it's, it's a false God that people worship. And so yeah, it is, it's funny to see just the similarities of we go, you know, we go visit monasteries over in Southeast Asia. And then in some ways we can come to a mall here and you see the same look in people's eyes. People are looking for hope and something that's not going to satisfy. Right. Wow. Interesting. No. Mm. Um, all right, so um, and how long have you been where you're at now? Uh, I spent two years there as a journeyman, and then six years now as a family. Okay, so total, you spent eight years there, right? Right, yeah. And so um, you live in. You mentioned you live in a village, and um, so well, we actually live in kind of a small town, and okay, around that town. So, so our, do, you like, do you like living like a what we would classify as a normal house, or is it? Yeah. 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 So like our house is, I mean, we have, we have a nice house. We have a, you know, cars and uh, things like that. So we're not like out in the bush, but that's actually one of the blessings of the the international mission board is that, you know, we're different than other agencies in the sense that we are, our support comes from the Southern Baptist convention and from the cooperative program. So as people are giving to Genesis church, even, you know, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program um, and a portion of that goes to the, the international mission board. And so we don't actually go out and raise support or raise money for things like our house and, and vehicles and, you know, mm-hmm. medical and stuff like that. 
but actually as churches give to Genesis and other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, that literally puts food on our table. Um, and so through that, through the cooperative program, and then also especially through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that comes around, um, especially emphasized every December, right. that's what allows us to, to have what we need to be able to do ministry. Yeah, this is one of the things that we started a couple of years ago is doing this, uh, meaning every, we interview the, some of the missionaries that are spotlighted in the week of prayer. And uh, because uh, obviously, you know, all these, it, it's, it, it, we can sort of introduce you guys, see, hear your voice, see your face, you know what I'm saying? And, um, uh, and then it just stays there. So, you know, like we, you know, you, you used to, we would invite missionaries in, Right. You know what I'm saying? Give them a hotel, blah, 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 which was all great and everything. But um, uh, but now we can have a conversation and save it. I mean, now we just say, I right, go to our podcast, you know, that kind of thing. So even if you if you go there, you'll see you'll see from some from last year, you know, yes. they're on there. And uh, yeah, no, it's a huge blessing. I mean, we're really grateful. And it's fun, too, because when you do come back to the States and get to talk with churches and stuff, you know, rather than saying like, hey, can you support us? We could say thank you. Like you've been supporting us, whether you like it or not, or whether yeah, you knew right. it or not, you yeah. know, you've been supporting us already. And it's really, I mean, it's a it's a brilliant system, a great way to to mobilize a lot of folks all over the world and support them by kind of pooling our resources uh collectively. We can get yeah. a lot more done and it it takes care of us and it also helps us to be able to focus on mm-hmm. the work that we're doing um and really put all of our energy into planting churches sharing the gospel uh, because we know that you know 40 something thousand churches from the convention are all joining together to, to help support the work that's going on so when you how often do you i mean you're back in the states right now but uh how often do you actually come back on on a a normal furlough we're typically coming back every three to four years uh, was kind of our plan that we're okay. this, this time we ended up having to bump that up a little bit just because of some medical issues um back issues that my wife was dealing with needing surgery but we typically try to stay just to be able to try to keep some traction going with the ministry uh be able to to be there long term so when you go back over uh do you have to like be quarantined for two weeks before you go back into society or something we have yeah i mean covid rules are changing by the day almost right as it stands now it's a 10-day quarantine actually okay so it's yeah it's a process getting back especially where we're at because we're not in one of the main cities so mm-hmm. it's like a it's a 22 to 26 hour flight from the states to get to the big city and then it's another we usually have to drive so it's about a 15 16 hour drive from the big city we fly into into to get back to our home so it's a process getting there <laughs> yeah well the reason why i ask is because the other day i was interviewing a missionary and I, he was in a hotel room and uh and he was on day 12 yeah and uh and he, has, and, I, and, I, and he said that they where he was at they take quarantine very seriously he yeah. said outside of seeing people on the screen he said i have not seen anyone yeah and uh, he said it's like solitary confinement he said yeah. they even when he he said when they brought him stuff they would literally i said well they just knock on your door he said oh no he said, I don't even know what's out there. He said, they will put it outside my door and then they walk off and then they send me a text. <laughs> yeah. And he said, there are other people in the rooms, the other rooms on the floor. And he said, but they coordinate even that to where 
even the people in the hotel room aren't opening the doors at the same time. <laughs> he, yeah. said, he said, I hear people every now right. and then. He said, but I don't see anybody. Yeah. And he said, he said, I am ready to get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's lively. So, and I, I I didn't even ask him why he was, I don't know if he was coming or going or what he was doing, but he had been there 12 days and he said, he's been doing a lot of this. Yeah. So uh, he said, but this gets, so he said, his exercise was just walking back and forth in the hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? Okay. laughs> and I'm thinking, I saw that in a movie about a prisoner one time. I thought like, <laughs> he goes walking back and forth. But anyway. Um, all right. So uh, for our listeners, if you're watching, you can see this. But um, if, um, if you're listening, I am holding up the prayer guide for the International Missions uh, uh, Emphasis for the month of December. And so inside this prayer guide, there's eight days and each day they highlight a different missionary. And on day six, um, it uh, has uh, Stephen right there. So this is his day. And, and there's some prayer requests at the bottom that uh, they have put there. And so you can read a little bit about, uh, about that um, and, and his ministry and what's going on there. And, uh, well, before we wrap it up, so Steve, is there anything else that you want to, you want to share, um, about what you do or something that I, I haven't asked that you think they ought to know or something? No, I just, I just say that we really do feel like people in the States, part of your church and other churches, we really view you as, as part of the team, as part of what we're doing. Uh, we see ourselves as part of the body of Christ and extensions of the body that are reaching around the world to Southeast Asia. And so it's not like we're just out there doing our thing and y'all are doing your thing here. Like it's, it's one work. I was, I was just reading this morning in Philippians in my, in my normal quiet time, you know, that we're one spirit, one body, that this is what God's called us to do. And so we, we just want you to know how grateful we are for the way that, that you're praying, you know, praying, using that prayer guide and other uh, ways that you're giving to Lottie Moon and <clears throat> that you really are part of the team. Um, and, and we couldn't, I, I heard someone once uh, a missionary describe, you know, prayers while they're on the field as oxygen to a deep sea diver. And that really is what it feels like to us. I mean, the, the stuff that we're doing, it really is a supernatural work and mm -hmm. people's eyes really are blinded to the gospel. And right. it's not, I mean, it doesn't matter how, you know, how much we can learn the language or learn the culture or find the best ways to share the gospel. Unless God does a miracle, you know, people that are dead and their sin are not going to be raised to life. And so we, we're grateful for your involvement and, and we need you. We need your church. We need the body of Christ here uh, to continue to be involved in those ways so that we can continue to, to see these things happen. And so we, and we, and it's an encouragement, not just to us, but even uh, to the believers there uh, a while back, several months ago, I was, well, actually, this was a couple of years ago before, uh, you know, some more believers came to faith out in Mama's village. I was talking with her one time we went out to see her and she just seemed really down and seemed discouraged, you know. And so we asked her, what's going on? And she just was real vulnerable, just said, you know, it's just hard sometimes, like being the only believer out here. Everybody thinks I'm crazy. And it's just it gets discouraging after a while. And we got to share with her about you <laughs> and about that. You know, we told her like, Hey, you've got brothers and sisters all around the world that are praying for your people that are praying for this country that are praying for people like you. 
And man, I wish you could have seen her eyes light up. And and the phrase that she said was in in the local language. She said, "Now I know that I will never be alone," because wow. she said, "Know that even though I'm here by myself, to know that I've got brothers and sisters all around the world that are praying for me." She said, "I don't have to be discouraged anymore because wow. I know that I'm part of a bigger body." And so, just I know it can sometimes feel really distant or feel like you're not really connected to what's going on. But but as you're praying and as you're giving like that you really are part of the work that's going on there. And so we're really grateful for that and want to see that multiply to, to many more people to get many more stories like hers in the future. You know, I've never even thought about, you know, a believer in an area where, okay, I'm just going to assume that mama um, has, uh, doesn't have access to internet videos. Mm -hmm. So her world really is that village. Yeah. You know, there is no, I'm going to listen to, you know, this preacher online or this yeah. podcast about theology or Christian <laughs> conversations or what, you know, there's, there's none of that. And so, I mean, what she's got is right there if she's got anything. Right. So um, anyway, I just never really, uh, I hadn't really thought about how lonely that could be. No, it really can uh, be. Yeah. And so that's part of what it's really encouraging, just knowing that, hey, there's people out there right. that are are praying for our country and praying for our village has been a huge boost to her just to yeah. feel like part of something bigger. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And uh, uh, man, we are going to be praying for you. And uh, Thanks for doing what you do, and uh, you know it's uh, it definitely takes a calling to leave the familiar and go to a new place. And uh, uh, but you know when God places that call on your life, uh, you know it's uh, the best thing to do is answer it. I mean, you know, yeah. so uh, and so for those who are listening, hey, if you've got questions about any mission work or you got more questions about the IMB. International Mission Board. Uh, you can go to imb.org and read and watch to your heart's content. Um, uh, through the IMB, we have partnered with the IMB, and so uh, you know there are about four to five thousand missionaries around the world um, doing all kinds of stuff and uh, just helping to plant churches, uh, lead Bible studies, and make disciples. So, and we are glad that we had, were able to partner with them and we, you know, and he's one of them right here, he and his family. And so uh, uh, a real person, you know, a, a real face, a real life, making a real difference for the kingdom. So Stephen, we do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me today. All right.